Amen. Open up your Bibles, if you have one, to Matthew chapter 14, which is where we'll be uh, today. Matthew chapter 14. Um, thank you, JJ and um, John and Ty and Chris for leading us. And that's a powerful song, an incredible one, as we consider uh, in this series we've been doing called Retrace, Another Look at Life with Jesus Christ. So what we're seeing about Jesus is that he is king, uh, and the people that he's ministering among are recognizing him as, uh, as somebody special. I don't know that they fully saw him as king. They wanted to make him an earthly king, but they didn't maybe totally grasp that he was the king sent by God to deliver them not only from earthly suffering, but from spiritual uh, oppression caused by the brokenness and the curse in the Garden of Eden. And uh, let me ask you a question as we start this morning. Here's the question. What do you need? What do you need? If it was just you and I, we were face to face, and I were to ask you that question and you felt comfortable to be honest, what do you need? Do you need money? Andrew, write the list names down. Andrew will be distributing his money. Um, do you need uh, friends? Do you need uh, a job? Do you need a, a busier life? A slower life? What What do you need? You need help with your kids? Um, you need help with your marriage? What, what, what do you need? Think about it right now. Get, get something in your mind. Nothing is too small or petty. Nothing is too big. As you sit here this morning, we've just sung a song saying, Jesus is king. And it's just really reasonable for us to gather and just to say, okay, God, here's what I need. Um, what we're going to see in this passage of Scripture in Matthew chapter 14, starting in verse 13. The compassion of Christ moves Him to meet our needs. The compassion of Christ moves Him to meet our physical and spiritual needs. This is what we're going to see in this passage. And this is a story of the feeding of the 5,000. You might have heard it before. And, and what we need to say from the very beginning, that this story is, is really what's at the center of this story is the compassion of Christ, not just the met need, okay? Uh, there are hungry people, they get fed. That's the story. So if you have a short attention span, that's it. Go Texans. Um, but... but But what is going on here is that the author reveals to the reader the compassion of Christ, which is similar to the compassion of God, which would make sense because Jesus is God in the flesh. You know, we know these verses throughout the Old Testament. The Lord is gracious and compassionate, slow to anger, abounding in in love. So here we see the compassion of Christ. And not just here, but it's throughout uh, these stories of people walking with Jesus and doing life with Jesus as, as recorded in the Gospels. What is compassion? Let's, let's just stay here for a moment. Compassion is that internal yearning of sympathy and concern for people 
with great needs. Now, some of you are really naturally compassionate, and others of you, not so much. But it's something that makes us human. It's being able to sense the needs of another person. It's an emotion that cannot easily be shut down. We, we cannot easily walk away from people in great pain if our compassion for them is stirred for their, for their pain or their poverty or their desperate need. This is compassion. Well, Jesus is compassionate. And one beautiful thing about Jesus and our confession that Jesus is Lord is that it reminds us how personal and touchable Jesus is, right? Throughout our world, there are people who are worshiping physical idols, like literally wooden idols. So maybe somebody would worship this thing. I don't know. But it would be in many places as ridiculous as, as you recognizing this as some kind of a God and worshiping it. There, this thing has no emotion. There's no humanity to it. There's no heart to it, right? Well, Jesus as Lord is one who is compassionate, who cares about us, who can reach down and look into your eyes and see what's going on. Isn't that a great feeling? Isn't that great to know? Here we'll see Jesus and his compassion. Matthew chapter 14, starting in verse 13. And the best way to handle these stories is for me just to read and teach, read and teach, read and teach. So um, just follow along if you can. Matthew chapter 14, verse 13. Now when Jesus heard this, well, let's stop there. What did he hear? He heard that John the Baptist died. John the Baptist is really significant. John the Baptist is the one who God sent to prepare the way for Jesus, saying, hey, the Messiah is coming, the Messiah is coming. John the Baptist is the one that baptized Jesus. So he sees John the Baptist as really significant for his public ministry. Jesus hears that he dies, and no doubt is grieved, because John the Baptist was significant. And the fact that John the Baptist died might have reminded Jesus that he was also going to die, that His popularity was only for a short time. Well, Jesus heard about this, and as you would, if you lost somebody close to you, you would need some time alone. So it says, he withdrew from there in a boat to a desolate place by himself. Now, let's just stop here for a moment. Jesus needs rest. This is really, really incredible. God in the flesh needed rest. Rest. We see this throughout the Gospels. Often, Jesus would retreat to a quiet place to be with the Father. He would retreat because things were getting so busy and so hectic, he would need to rest. This is what makes us uh, realize that Jesus is human, right? He's fully God, but he's also fully human. He gets tired. He's worn out. He's grieving the loss of, uh, at the very least, a partner in ministry, probably uh, a friend on some level, this John the Baptist who died. Jesus needs to get alone because he's been doing a lot of work for God. He needs to get alone because he's had a lot of responsibility and, and he needs to take some time. Did, did the crowd tell Jesus, hey, Jesus, why don't you go take some time? No. Jesus chose on his own time and time again. In fact, the disciples, we don't have record of the disciples ever saying, hey, Jesus, you're looking kind of bedraggled. You might want to go ahead and retreat to that mountainside. That's right. I use the word bedraggled. I don't even know if it's a word, but it... So 
Jesus is, is worn out. He chooses on his own. He's leading himself really well there. This is important to recognize his ability to lead himself well. He's, he's worn out here. He's maybe aware of, especially reminded of since John the Baptist died, that just a little over a year later, from this moment, he's going to be dead on a cross. He, he knows there's much work to do, but to be able to do all that he needs to do, he has got to stay healthy. He's got to take care of his soul. Now, if Jesus needed rest to effectively do what he came to do, how much more should we seek rest? Think about that. How much more should we seek rest? And I know what's going through your mind. Russell, you have no idea all that I've going on. I've got kids, I've got a job, I've got this, I've got that. I don't think you were busier than the Son of God ministering and healing with crowds pressing in on him. So let's just get it out on the table. It's not easy to make time for rest. It's not, okay? It's not easy for you. It's not easy for me. And very few, if any of us, are any good at it. But if Jesus needed to take time to rest, and I don't, this could be included, but I don't think it just means sitting in front of the TV watching a football game. That's, that's not restful for me. I mean, when, I, when I'm like into the game especially, it's not restful at all. You're like, ah, oh, 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 you know. What we ought to think of when we see this idea of rest and Jesus resting is what we're commanded to do in the Ten Commandments was Sabbath. This regular rhythm once a week of stopping from all that we normally do, the work of our hands, we pause. We connect with God, and we're reminded that we need God, and that God has a plan for our life, and we thank God for all that he's done in our life. We, we stop from the work, all the work that we have chosen to do. If Jesus needed rest, how much more? You know, it's a, I have no doubt it's a ploy of the evil one to keep us from resting, to keep pushing us. Keep putting more and more opportunities in front of us. More and more people that want to meet with you. More and more projects to do. More and more songs to write. More and more uh, things for your kids to be involved in. More and more activities socially. More and more things. He kind of puts it in front of you, and there's nothing bad about it, but it's, it's a good thing, but may not be the best thing. And what it keeps you from being able to do is, is plan on a weekly basis a time of rest. Here's what will happen. Here's what's happening. One, you'll forget God you will forget God. If you do not have regular times of rest, you will forget God, and you will start to operate as God. You will start to manage all your own things. You'll start to look to yourself for answers because you don't have time to go to God. If you do not rest on a regular basis, the fatigue will set in, and you will forget God, and something else happens. You will ignore the needs of others because you're too rushed you're too busy you can't be sensitive to their needs and i said from the beginning not all of you are as naturally compassionate as others right we're all wired a little different some of you are really in tune i have people in my life they can look at me and just almost right away tell how things are going with me they're really in like synced up and they have like supernatural power so if i don't want to talk about it when i'm around them i just totally fake it like hey man what's going on you know but, but not all of us are like, 
not all of us are really good at identifying the needs of others. But let me tell you something. If you are, do not rest, if you do not slow down, if you do not uh, uh, have, have a time each week where you're pausing, you will forget God and you will not be able to identify the needs of others. And let me tell you something. A big part of the Christian life is being able to see the needs of others as evidenced by the life of Jesus. So, a little confession time. And some of you are guests, and so don't, don't feel like you have to, if this weirds you out. Um, just by a show of hands, who in here would say, I am not good at, at, at weekly times of rest? Just raise your hand. Yeah, most of you. I, I'm the same way. I'm living that right now. You know, I'm at, I got it. I mean, there's people, and there's children, and there's activities, and there's work, and, you know, and just to... to to find time to do it. You know why? Because there's always something else that needs to be done that's really good. But you know what happens to you and what happened to me is we'll forget God. And we'll ignore the needs of others. So Jesus withdrew to a lonely place by himself to rest. He gets into a boat, goes over this body of water, and I imagine that he had planned to get to the other side and relax and connect with the Father. But the crowd heard it. They followed him on foot from the towns. In verse 14, when he went ashore, he saw a great crowd. This is kind of like a reality check for all of us. Our plans to rest can be brought short by the demands of life, right? So you can't beat yourself up too much if you're like, okay, I'm going to take it, you know, the afternoon on Saturday, I'm just going to rest, connect with God, read my Bible, I'm going to pray. I'm going to just spend time quietly with my spouse or my kids, you know, whatever. And if it gets brought short by the demands of life. Don't beat yourself up about it. It happens, okay? This isn't one of those like, okay, carve out this time, and if you don't do it, you don't really care about God. No, this is one of those that you just got to try to do it. You have to try to do it. And it will never be easy. Never. And you th- if you think for one moment that you're excused from these regular rhythms of rest because you have more and more things going on, more and more kids, no, that's wrong. That's, that, is, that, is a, that is an ungodly sinful attitude, actually. You... you all the more, those of you that are busier and have more and more responsibility, you've got to take time to rest. It's, it's like when you're training as an athlete, when you choose to, to pursue a, a, a harder uh, a goal, um, whenever you choose to, to push yourself to, to another limit, if you ignore the need to rest more, you will not be able to do it. It will ruin you. One of the disciplines for great athletes is rest. If they do not rest, they cannot recover. If you cannot recover, you're dead. So it'll never be easy. So when he went ashore, he saw a great crowd, verse 14, and he had compassion on them and healed their sick. This is beautiful. He saw their needs. Maybe in that boat ride, he was able to rejuvenate a little bit. He gets out of the boat. He sees their needs. It reminds us of another place where Jesus looks out over the crowd and he has compassion on them because they're like sheep without a shepherd. They're like wandering. They need help. Verse 15. Now when it was evening, the disciples came to him and said, this is a desolate place and the day is now over. Send the crowds away to go into the villages and buy food for themselves. So he's been ministering and working, and healing, and helping these people. His compassion 
uh, has compelled him to meet the needs of these people. And the disciples see that the people are getting hungry. The crowd is great. 5,000 men, including women and children. It could be somewhere between twenty and 30,000 people. And there's a gigantic crowd of people. The disciples have some compassion here. They do. They recognize that the people are hungry. So maybe the disciples were good at this rhythm of rest. They saw Jesus doing it, so they did it themselves. They see the needs of the people, and, and so they have a plan. Here's the plan for provision. Dismiss the people so that they could go get food, and, and maybe they would or would not come back. This is a reasonable plan, Right? So their compassion compels them to do something to meet the needs. Verse 16, but Jesus said, they need not go away. You give them something to eat. They said to him, we have only five loaves here and two fish. The book of John uh, tells us that a boy had this, this offering. We have only five loaves here and two fish. And he said, bring them here to me. Here's what we're about to see. Man's compassion is reasonable, but Jesus' compassion is radical. See, their compassion told them, hey, these people have a need. Let's send them to the villages so that they can get food, so they can have their need met. But what Jesus is about to do is something completely radical and completely uh, beyond reason. Verse 19, then he ordered the crowds to sit down on the grass and taking the five loaves, there's a rhythm actually here. If you can remember what happens at the Last Supper when Jesus is with his disciples, where he takes the bread, he blesses it, he breaks it, and he gives it to them. Here is, here's a foreshadowing of that event, actually. Verse 19, then he ordered the crowds to sit down on the grass, and taking the five loaves and the two fish, he looked up to heaven and said a blessing. A traditional Jewish blessing might be blessed Art thou, O Lord our God, King of the universe, who bringest forth bread from the earth? The passage goes on in verse 19. Then he broke the loaves and gave them to the disciples, and the disciples gave them to the crowds. And they all ate and were satisfied. Now there's a nuance here to the verb that gives us this word, these English words were satisfied. And it actually is something deeper. It's like they were deeply satisfied satisfied. They were eating food, but it touched a part of their soul beyond just their tummy. They were deeply satisfied, and they took up 12 baskets full of the broken pieces left over, so they have left over. Those who ate were about 5,000 men besides women and children. So Jesus is ministering to these people. The disciples say, hey, these people, they've been with you all day, they're getting hungry. Here's the plan. Uh, let's be compassionate to these people. Let's send them to these villages. And Jesus comes along and says, yeah, you're right. We ought to help these people, but in a way far greater than what you're saying. And he does a miracle. He multiplies these five loaves and two fishes into enough to feed all these people with some left over. In this moment, the crowd would have recognized that Jesus is more than just a man that can heal. But he's the one that they want to make king. They see him as supernatural. 
is able to do something really, really significant. And for those people to connect with Jesus and his compassion is really, really significant. There's a few things I want us to reflect on as we consider this passage. And and the first one is that the miracles of Jesus reveal him as Messiah and they relieve for a time the effects of the curse. Now, if you go back to the beginning of the Bible, when God created Adam and Eve, he put them in the garden. It was a perfect place where there was shalom, there was perfection, and there was peace. But sin entered because man and woman rebelled against God. Sin entered, and a curse entered into humanity. Brokenness, the effects of it are things like pain and suffering and sorrow and inequity among who gets food. Well, Jesus has come to make it possible for all those that are separated from God because of the curse to be restored to him. And not only that is he doing it spiritually, but he's also beginning to paint the picture that God is going to restore all parts that have been broken by the curse. And that includes the inequity related to food. The people that are hungry, there will be a day when their hunger is gone. In this moment, for this crowd, he relieves the effects of the curse. Now, they don't fully... I mean, they get hungry again, right? No doubt there are some people in this crowd who will someday starve. But for a moment, we see a God who is going to someday restore all that's broken. This is... uh, the story in which we see it, what's the, the kind of a deeper meaning is it's a messianic, it's a pointing to the day when the Messiah will restore all that's been broken because of the curse. But before that day, something must happen. Jesus must go to the cross and die. Now, I asked you earlier to identify your need. And do you know that for some of you, you say, you know, I need money, or I need a relationship, or I need this, or I need that. And for some of you, God... Um, The way that he's going to be compassionate to you is by meeting that need according to the way you see it. But there'll be other needs, right? I mean, imagine you right now, you need $5,000. Imagine that you got that check. You know what? You'll need more money next month. I mean, sure, God is capable of providing that for you. But do you realize that in Christ, there will be a day when you cannot identify a need? You cannot say, I need more money. Or you cannot say, I, I, need, I, I feel lacking in this relationship. You cannot say, I need healing physically. You, can, you will not be able to say that on that day when Jesus returns, if you are ready. Now, if you're here and you've never repented of your sin and placed your faith in Jesus Christ, your need is going to be much greater than the $5,000 you need right now. You know what your need's going to be? For some relief, because you'll be suffering the consequences for your sin in hell. But for those that are in Christ, there will be a day. And let that restore hope to those of you that feel a little hopeless. Let that encourage you, those of you that are feeling a little overwhelmed. Because when I say, what are your needs? You start thinking, I need this, I need this, I need this, I need this. Do you know that God cares for your needs so much that he recognized the greatest need in you? And that is for salvation. And this is why he came in the form of a man that we call Jesus, went to a cross to die so that our sins could be forgiven. This is the good news of the Bible. 
Jesus in this story points us to a day when there will be no hunger, no pain, and no suffering, and no sorrow. When everybody gets to experience the compassion of God on a daily, wonderful basis. But before then, what's going forth into the world is a story about how people can have their need for forgiveness of sin can be, uh, to be met through Jesus Christ. You say, what do I do? Here's what you do. You say, God, I recognize that my sin separates me from you. I'm affected by the curse. Will you forgive me for my sin? I see that Jesus died on the cross so that I can have my sin forgiven. And just as Jesus was raised from the dead, I want to be given a new life. That's receiving the gospel if you believe it. And you know what? Every one of you should do that. The miracles reveal Jesus as Messiah. And they they relieve just for a short time the effects of the curse. And when those moments come that God provides for you and meets your need, you know what? Enjoy it. Thank you, God. Thanks for that anonymous check. Or thanks for that relationship that I really needed. And let it be a reminder to you that there will be a day when all your needs will be met. Isn't that a beautiful thing? But until then, until that day, let us look for food from Jesus. Now, I certainly mean the physical kind of needs, like the physical things related to your requested need, like like food. Matthew chapter 6, in the Sermon on the Mount, Verse 25, I tell you, Jesus says, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. It's not life more than food and the body more than clothing. Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, yet the heavenly Father meets them. Are you not of more value than they? If you have a need, ask Jesus. Just ask him. And he may supernaturally provide uh, for that need, or he may give you wisdom in how you handle what you already have. Do not worry, though. Do not fret, because God knows your needs. God will take care of you. But we also have spiritual needs, right? We have things that go far beyond, well, I'm just hungry, or you know, I've got a bill to pay. We have spiritual needs, things in our heart We need to be fed spiritually. Do you know that you can go to Jesus for that also? You can go to God. And the way that you go to God and you devour what he has for you is by studying his word. There's a passage in the Bible that simply says, eat this book, or eat this scroll. It's in the Old Testament. It's a prophet who says it. And, and it's literally like this prophet is commanded to eat a scroll. <laughs> and it tells us a little bit about how we ought to devour God's word. If you're hungry spiritually and you say, what in the world should I do? Uh, read the Bible. Come ready to devour it when I open it before you and teach the verses. Let us look to Jesus for our spiritual food. Now, the physical and the spirit, the spiritual are inseparable. They're connected together. 
So we know that the miracles of Jesus reveal him as Messiah, and they relieve for a time the effects of the curse. We know that until then, that we ought to look to Jesus for our food. That's a good reminder, right? Kind of like a bring you back to center, reminding you how to live and operate and where to get your sustenance, both physically and spiritually. But a question that's begged by all of this, well then, where does Christ's provision come from? Is Jesus going to show up physically in that back of that door and going to come and start distributing according to what, our, what we've requested as our need? If he comes in back in that door, that would be sweet, and I'm out of here, I quit. Um, but it, it, it does beg the question, really practically, like for tomorrow, when you wake up, where does Christ's provision come from? Well, if we talk about our physical needs, we must remember that God has provided us work. I mean, the way that, that we're able to have our physical needs met is by getting a job, working hard, and earning a wage. But in our world, because it's broken, this is, this, there's an inequity here, right? I mean, not everybody that's just willing to go work hard can get a job to provide enough for their needs, correct? That's correct. So one beautiful thing that we see is that the physical needs of people ought to be able to be met uh, through the local church. And we see this in Acts chapter 2, where some people no doubt had money, others did not, but they were so committed to one another and to, um, to Jesus that they shared all that they had in common. Now, this really pushes against American individualism. And I know you think that what is yours is yours. But just a reminder, Psalm 40 says, nothing that you own is yours. All that, What it actually says is, all that's in the world is God's and everything in it. So everything that you have is God's. So if you're starting to go, oh, man, he's starting to talk about my stuff, you're going to have to get over it if you're in Christ. Because the reality is, everything that you own is not yours. It's God's. He's lent it to you. And you're going to be held accountable for how you steward it. And one place that we're held accountable for how we steward is in the context of the local church. Look here in Acts chapter 2, verse 45. They, talking about the very first believers, were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. They shared. Now, let's back up here. If we're getting rest and we're recognizing the needs of other people around us, our compassion is stirred, we see a need of somebody else in our congregation, you know what? Before God, if we can meet that need, we should. It is tragic to just sit back and go, man, I'm just going to pray that God will meet their need. You know what you need to do? You meet their need. This is how this applies to Monday. Because we can get it all up here and go, oh, yes, Jesus, you can meet our needs. And, oh, you're so wonderful, man. I'm going to pray for you, brother, you know. But what about saying, okay, let's, let's, let's be like the, the, the early believers who were gripped with their faith and say, okay, you have a need, you know what, we're going to help meet your need. And you know one thing that we do regularly as a church, we say, if you have needs, let us know. Because there are many people in here that give regularly to the mission of New Town Church, and some of that we set aside to help meet needs just like that. But it's hard for people to say, I have a need. But if you have a need, let us know. We'll do our best to meet it if God's provided for us. But even beyond that, if you see somebody else in the congregation that, that has needs, I want to challenge you, man. Find out how you can help meet that need. Help them. That's how Jesus meets needs. Oftentimes is in the context of the local church. That's why this thing is so important. 
Where does Christ's provision come from? It certainly comes from hard work, that extra bonus at work. But I, I think maybe more often what it ought to, where it ought to come from is, is the local church and one another and us sharing with one another. And this happens already, you know? I mean, for those of you that are mothers, how, much, how many of the clothes that your kids are wearing did you actually buy? I mean, this is one beautiful thing that happens in our church is, is I see it because, you know, there's an exchange of clothes that goes on regularly around my house. But there's a, hey, my child no longer needs these clothes, and I don't want to get rid of them totally, but I'll, I'll give them to you for a season, and you can give them to somebody else, and they give them to you. There's, so there's just like this moving of clothes all around. So I'll see, you know, um, Billy, and I'll, like, hey, I remember when Kobe wore that shirt. I mean, it's an illustration of it, but it's, it's this, this, scale this up to bigger things. This is how we're to operate and relate to one another. So there's also a spiritual need that we have, and how do we have our spiritual needs met? Well, the way that your spiritual needs are going to be met is certainly in God's Word, but it's by somebody teaching you God's Word, which is why small groups are so important, which is why this time is so important. If you're not willing to submit yourself to a group of people, and particularly a teacher, somebody can teach you God's Word that knows a little bit more than you, somebody is willing to feed you God's Word, then you will suffer. You will not experience uh, what those people experienced in that day where they were deeply satisfied. Let's think about these things. Do you look to Jesus as the one who can provide the food that you need, both physically and spiritually? What are your needs? Let's pray together.